One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Since 2013, Bombus has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com/acast and use code acast for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com/acast code acast. Hello and welcome to the Friday Special, a podcast by Guitar Nerds. Now for 2020, the Friday Special series is running almost every week. And each time I'll have a new guest from the world of guitars, amplification and effects pedals. We're going to have brands, producers and musicians. I am your host, Joe Branton, joined by our special guests, Rory Friars and Niall Kennedy, the dual guitarists of And So I Watch You From Afar. Hello, fellas, and welcome to the show. Hi, Joe. How are you? Yes, all good. Thank you very much um, for coming on and joining us uh, for this episode. Now, uh, for listeners, if you're not familiar with And So I Watch You From Afar, they're a a largely instrumental Belfast-based band um, who've had a a massive impact on the math rock scene over the last 15 years. I think it would be fair to say that both guitarists have inspired a genre that is now kind of the torchbearer for effects-driven guitar playing and big pedal boards. So for this episode, I'm really looking forward to taking you, dear listener, on a journey into the world of their weird guitar noises. Um, Yes. Now, I met you guys back in 2013 when and so I watched you from afar played a, a warm-up show at Brighton Electric Studios just before the first ever Art Tangent Festival and Art Tangent for for those who who don't know is the UK's best and biggest experimental music festival um, and I think at that show you guys you you played a rehearsal room that was suitable for about 20 people tops with about 60 people crammed in and of course, the next day you went on to like headline arc tangent to sort of seven or eight thousand people, and that's that's really kind of the crux of. And so I watch you from afar. For me, you bring this uh, this DIY nature, despite having outgrown being a DIY band. Um, and I see that in everything from your pedal boards to your to your performances. Um, is, has that been like a, a conscious decision within the band, or or do you just like having having the crack as you would say <laughs> nice yeah uh, mm-hmm. no i don't think uh, that's that's uh, that's interesting it's interesting to, it's interesting to hear someone's sort of a uh, you know uh objective opinion of stuff and i mean um no we, we from the get-go i mean we 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 were very like we grew up um 
on the north coast of Antrim, uh, kind of uh, on the outskirts of some little seaside towns. <clears throat> and like, it kind of, I suppose it, it instilled a, like there wasn't much happening, you know, there certainly wasn't many um, uh, venues, there wasn't many even places to pick up, you know, CDs. It was, you know, a very rural, small, small place. And so it instilled this kind of like, if, you know, the, the gig that you imagine you want to be a part of, you kind of had to create it yourself. You had to like start the band, you know, get your friends to come find some PA. And that was just that, that, you know, it's that simple kind of analogy was kind of, you know, just instilled. That's how stuff gets done. You kind of, if you want it to happen, you can, you can just do it. And yeah, I mean, and I, as you rightly said, the crack definitely plays a big part too, because I mean, obviously it is great crack playing, you know, headlining a festival to thousands of people. But I mean, it is, it would be a shame that that then suddenly meant that you couldn't do those, you know, almost arguably even more vital and visceral and experiences of, you know, being, you know, two feet away from somebody, you know, face to face in a rehearsal room with um, everybody drinking beers and letting loose. And I, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Those were the, those were the, those were, how, uh, were always the markers of something important. Like the, the, the most formative moments of my life as a, somebody watching and experiencing music rarely um, were those moments, you know, being at the big show, um, at the festival, it was, it was, it was, you know, being in front of my friend's band whenever I was 15 or 16 and feeling like I was, you know, transcending, you know, the, <laughs> into some new space. And I guess that's what, I don't know. You just, it, it's almost hasn't changed, you know, since then we just get to like do some, well, uh, some other cool stuff. I mean, that's definitely that's definitely kind of how it feels from watching and so watching from afar. Like nothing changes, uh, you know, depending on where where you're playing. Your your um, you know, the amount of energy in and then so watching from afar show is like uh, you know, a sort of a, a a hungry band who've who've just sort of made their first record and you manage to bring that energy. Like I say, whether you're in a rehearsal studio or headlining a festival, and I think that's kind of become one of the backbones or the the cornerstone rather that for w what people think of. And so, what you from afar is that you are a lot of fun in a live format. Um, have you? <laughs> I guess have you have you found that 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 makes the balance between performing live and creating records um, skewed in any way? Do you do you feel more like one is more important to the other? And I, I guess I'm going to move that into a gear question about how you you know how you address a live performance and uh, and and recording when you're so kind of effects driven when you know running around the stage so much you know, must impact upon how you're going to create the amount of sounds that you do. Yeah. Um, I guess. Yeah, I get, I, 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 it has done in the past. It, 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 I think what it's, it's why we try and like, we, we had an album that we made. Um, it was our third album called all hail bright futures. And 
it was essentially impossible to play almost um we we you know we went into the studio and we recorded it uh you know over a long period of time you know in, in a very um in a very very luxurious length of time we wrote songs in the studio we kind of you Ooh, know always dangerous <laughs> yeah it was, it was dangerous and we and we got the bell at the end of it uh, we really <laughs> <laughs> so uh, keep the experimentation out of the studio i think unless you're you know radiohead but um the uh it, it, subsequently we came out having me having had one of the most wonderful creative experiences in the studio but then we got out and we realized you know there's guitar parts for, you know, first and foremost, there's guitar parts on here. Um, the, you know, there's six guitar parts and we, we only have two guitarists are, um, you know, there's an, a, a whole array of effects in this, which, um, you know, to, 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 to go from, you know, section A to section B, you know, is going to require, you know, seven separate pedals to be switched on and off. And yeah, then going forward, there, there was like a bunch of songs, I guess we just, we just never played off that. Um, and, that that uh, would have been like the first record that you started using uh, the Line Six M thirteen um, for for live stuff. That was kind of your move into big multi effects to do multiple effect switching. And I think Niall, you were at the time using the using an M nine, which Rory you used previously, didn't you? And then moved on to the Line Six M thirteen. Yeah. Yeah. That's I think, right. I think Rory broke broke his M nine and decided <laughs> that if he was going to buy a new one, he might as well get a slightly bigger one. Because was was that move into multi effects because of the record? Do you think? Yeah, d- d- directly. Yeah, we didn't have the we didn't have those pedals while we were recording, but it was, and I'd kind of, I mean, I, I don't know. I feel like everyone of a, of a of a certain generation has that sort of inbuilt like you know, you kind of scoff a bit at multi-effects because, you know, everybody I, had this. I was going to ask you about this because you, you have said in the past, like, it been, you know, a bit like, uh, you know, multi-effects. And it, for me, I feel like the industry has disregarded that a long time ago. But potentially, I, I think maybe around the time when you were making this record, you would have been right on the... <laughs> right on the cusp of it being acceptable, especially in sort of the circles that we all move in where everyone is, you know, big pedal boards and it's important to have the individual tone of a of a stomp box. Yeah. It was like a real functionality thing, wasn't it? It was like, if we want to recreate these sounds live, we just have to do this or else there's no really other way around it. We, we had to buy a sampler as well and we um, were using like a live... It was a native instruments machine. Oh yeah. So we had like a laptop, and I was like queuing up like all these different sounds off the record. And well, I didn't know that. Did yeah? You? Wow. It, it was it was a period of about probably less than a year, right, Rory? Yeah, it was kind like of we, re- on we, we reti- that retired it as soon as we could because it was a laptop on stage with us kind of thrashing around and oh, that's always asking for trouble. Yeah, so that was short lived, was it? Having there a was a laptop couple, on there stage. was a couple of times the laptop failed at the start of the show and it was it was really stressy for me. Yeah. Um, but it was it was cool. It was it was fun to have like all these other weird sounds and textures going on. Um, and it was cool to like try and recreate these, uh, recreate that record live. It was almost like remixing the album a little bit live because yeah, you cool. could you could never get all the sounds, but you could kind of do a bit of a version of it. 
Was it was it ever were you aiming to recreate the album or did you just were you just trying to create something new for for a live setting? I think we started off trying to recreate it as much as we could, yeah, didn't we? I mean and then you in just, my memory and then you kinda of get so far but then yeah, you're like, you settle for as close as you've got, yeah. I guess, yeah. Um did did you feel that you sacrificed anything? At that point, because, you know, of course, multi effects have have become something that you've used ever since. But do you, did, did you feel at the time like you were making any tonal sacrifices by replacing some of the stuff you were doing with uh, with the Line 6 M13? I mean, I, or I M series. I, in yeah, I, I mean, I kind of did. But the, like, it, you know, it's funny, like, I'm, you know, I was still using a digital delay at the time anyway. But I guess you, you you get used to your kind of like these little singular boxes that are hardy and, you know, you, you, the, you know everything's there on the front of it. There's no screen and you, you kind of become quite, I mean, you, it, it becomes a bit of an extension of, of yourself. You know exactly, you know, where to go and what to do. And I really hated going to the multi-effect stuff and like I'm still, I'm still not a fan, you know, and it, it was... I don't know if it, if it, you know, I imagined, I felt like the tones and the sounds like weren't quite what I wanted. I could never quite, uh, but I don't know if that was maybe there was part of that, which was just an association with, you know, just maybe being a bit frustrated at having something that was so fiddly and, and, you know, the buttons broke often. And I just, I, I, I preferred it, you know, I'll, like I'll always be the guy who, you know, kind of, I don't know if I'm like, I don't know. I, I sometimes I'd just rather, you know, old school, just have a big string of pe- pedals all all like plugged in together, kind of like. <laughs> I mean, fall. that comes with its own uh, with its own <laughs> yeah. issues, you know. For totally, I mean, for... of, of course, practically, you know, that 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 wouldn't work, and that, that you know, I'm kind I'm kind of being facetious there, but you know, it's I, I suppose, um, yeah, it's. Uh, but in terms of functionality, I mean, I can't. I, it was just, it, it it was great and a bit of a game changer, and um, you know, enabled us to sort of travel and you know, you could you could stick everything yeah. on a flight and go to the states and come off, and you know, everything was there and stuck to the board still. And yeah, that 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 is a that's a big advantage to the M thirteen. The M thirteen is still massive, and I think whilst I can't remember how, when was this like. 2014 2015 i think maybe you made the change am i right yeah Some, somewhere around there i can't yeah. i can't remember when exactly that record came out so when you would have been playing after that but certainly around then and i think i think back then whilst you didn't have things that have become really commonplace today like the boss es5 and es8 um there were still switches around like the octus switch and um and gig rig, you know, already kind of existed. Was there, was there a, a reason that you didn't opt for real pedals and a, a switching system for them? You know, instead of a instead of a multi effects, or you know, I, I, was it just the the line six was what you came across? Yeah, I think it was for such a small amount of stuff that that that, that I that I particularly needed the you know the the any of the M series stuff. There was less, just like kind of four patches for these like four particular songs which just had like you know i just needed you know 
whatever it was, a delay, a compressor, a little bit of a specific, you know, octoverb and, and, you know, uh, whatever it happened to be. And I just needed to know that I could just hit, hit the one button, but, um, right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was. Plus I, there was some new sounds on the line six pedals that we didn't nest, you know, like sounds that we made in the studio, we didn't necessarily have pedals that did that, if you right. know what I mean. So there was like, you know, signs that we were able to create on the Line 6. Well, the, the M series is, yeah. is so kind of consistently, you know, it's so legendary now, even though it's been out of production for, you know, the, well, the 9 and the 13 have been out mm. of production. The 5, they still make, crazily. Yeah. But, you know, and, and when they introduced the legacy setting, so all of the M series sounds onto the Helix, that was yeah. that was something everyone really wanted. It is a very highly regarded unit. I, I think I agree with you, Rory. The, the problem with those old M series things was that at the time, Line 6 were using their own proprietary um, foot switches yeah. and they were the same that were going on the DL4s at the time and everyone, anyone who's owned a Line 6 DL4 knows mm-hmm. that you, you, 90% of the time you're, you're replacing uh, the, the foot switches in them. I think the M series had the same... They they just weren't incredibly rugged. Certainly not when you yeah. guys are dancing around the stage and st- stamping on the pedals. Yeah, I think we went through like three M nines, <laughs> and Rory's. That's got, quite expensive. I think Rory's M thirteen that he's got now has like three or four functioning switches at this point. Oh wow, that's so, a that is a, a massive pedal board to have yeah. to lug around. So, yeah, for. it's like the the yeah. biggest octave pedal on earth. that's great yeah amazing well you know uh, i guess we are kind of fully into pedals so i'll continue i had this whole plan to sort of throw things on their head and talk about sort of guitars and amplifiers first because there's some really exciting things and weird things on both of those fronts as well but kind of on the effects pedal thing i haven't seen either of your your guys pedal boards in a while but like Rory, you you used to have more delay pedals than really made sense for people to have on a on a pedal board. How many individual? Because you tend to have so many different types of delay, and because you're so you're, you're dancing around so much when you play, I guess you assign individual sounds to individual pedals, and then just have several of them on a board. Yeah. Um, what are you What are you rocking on your current board? Um, I've got. Um, I've still got. Two two Boss DD6s, um, and I've got a Earthquaker Avalanche run. Um, oh, it's fantastic, the Avalanche run. It's absolutely beautiful. And um, then Earthquaker Disaster Transporter Senior. Um, and well, yeah, you've, bo- you've both got one of those, right? The the dis- Disaster Transporter Senior. Yeah. That yeah. that would be a hard pedal for either of us to ever get rid of. Let, let's stick on that for a minute because that was that was a really early pedal for Earthquaker devices, and right. I, I don't know much about sort of you know how you guys got on board with them, but certainly you seem to have quite a relationship with that brand, who are you know kind of very close to our hearts here at Guitar Nerds, and they, they've done so much for sort of weird music, I think, through the years. Massively, I think they sent like a huge box of pedals to Sergeant House. And then when we stopped by, when we were in LA to check in with them, Kathy was just like, do you guys want to take some pedals? And we just <laughs> rubbished through and took as many as we could. Wow. And um, 
I think we only had one disaster disaster transport, and then as soon as we got home, we we ordered another one and a couple other things off them. I got like a the Remo machine and the Afterneath, I think it's called. Yeah, the Afterneath. Uh, what, what is that? What is the Afterneath? That's the is that a reverb or a, an octave? I can't yeah, remember. it's like a kind of really eerie, spacey mm. reverb machine. Um, but it it's it's a powerful beast. It can it can get out of control very very quickly. <laughs> what and, do you uh, use the Rainbow Machine for? Um, actually, we just put out uh, a little EP um, with some songs that didn't make it onto airs. Um, an EP called Successors, um, like two weeks ago, and there's a song on there called Radagast, and you'll hear the Rainbow Machine all over it. It's um, it's kind of just does this kind of strange noise that I'm not <laughs> sure I know how to describe, but it's all all over that song. Wow, yeah. Um, Fair, yeah. So it, kind of more of uh, as a kind of sound effect as opposed to playing notes with on, if you know what I mean. Yeah, um, oh, that. yeah, absolutely. I mean, it can, it can come down to sort of being a very simple pedal, the Rainbow Machine. Yeah. Like, you know, Nick Reinhardt's the first to point out that he uses his just as a chorus yeah. uh, and nothing else. But it's it's that, that magic control obviously makes it capable of everything yeah. from complete madness, um, you know, right down to actual absolutely. functional sound. But, yeah, that's, it's good to see it still being used. I feel like it's one of those pedals that has a... A legendary uh, reputation, especially you know, yeah. obviously for Earthquaker, but you're starting to see it less and less these days on functional boards. I think you have to be, you have to be pretty clued in to to be able to sort of wield it. It's yeah, it, it's capable of a lot, but um, it takes someone who really knows how to dial it in to, to to make it functional. I think. Yeah. What What was it? What was it about the um, the oh. I forgot what it's called. The, yeah, the disaster transport that made you both want to go for that. Especially Rory, as you have so many other. Because what do you have? Like a memory man. You had a couple of samplers on your board. Uh, don't you have the giga delay as well as? Yes, I did have that have for a while. I, I I guess like my, yeah, my my the reason for all the delays is it, each one's just doing like a very different job. Like and uh, kind of you know it's like funny hearing you guys talk about the rainbow machine it's like i i feel like that tends to be a very and so watch from afar thing to do it's like the pedals are capable of so much but we tend to like just go to like oh if you turn all the things up that makes this weird sound and then it's like cool I, i'll just i'll just do it i'll just use it for that man <laughs> and uh <laughs> like totally like my memory man which has got to be like one of the most beautiful delay pedals in my opinion like i use it with the all oscillation, all feedback, and all repeats up like to full. <laughs> so whenever I press it, it just makes this like cacophonous noise. And it's the same with that's why I have two, um, two DD sixes because they have that like hold function that you can kind of like you know do like the little uh, like hold function or like you know make like that is the only way to describe it with the sound. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so I mean, the it's only really um, all those pedals are being used for all these almost like I remember somebody describing it as like um, like the equivalent of doing a drum fill on a guitar. You know, it's just like a little <laughs> ornamentation. You know that, and I have lots of pedals that do that. I've got like 
two two pitch shifter, you know, PS fives or PS fours, PS fives, and um, I have them, you know, at various different settings to do various different things. But you know, the disaster transporter is the one that I use for like just like beautiful, thick, lush, you know, slightly modulated. It just, yeah. it's it's just vintage, like vintage delay is exactly yeah. how I would describe that. Yeah. Like lush modulated delay. That's that's kind of what that does well. It's, it's gorgeous, yeah. And and it, you know, it makes whatever you play better. <laughs> you know, <laughs> anything that you play into it, it will sound immediately better through right. that pedal. Yes, that 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 makes sense. And so I guess kind of um, for 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 both of you. Kind of sonically, octaves and delays take up the bulk of of the you know the sounds that you go that you go for that you're looking for. It actually, is there anything of obviously we you know we we'll talk about drives shortly, but is there like do you guys actually use much in the way of modulation, or do you do the bulk? Do you find you do the bulk of it through delays and octaves or uh, yeah. pitch rather than octaves? Yeah, mostly yeah, through mostly after transport for me. Like, yeah, in fact, that, that kinda... do either of you have any modulation pedals on your boards? No, I I had a chorus pedal for a bit, and a, I had a phaser for a bit. But um, like we, there was a you know, I I feel like we sort of when we start writing anything new, there'll always be like a little foray into like that like that kind of world, but. I don't know why it hasn't. There, there isn't a record where it's really like just landed um, for whatever whatever reasons. Um, but I mean, it's. I don't think it's not like we have a an aversion to them at all. It's just the way it kind of works out. And you know, there is the thing of it. it you know, it, on one, in one respect, it's really fun to get a bunch of new stuff and to. Um, and to like just you know what does this do? What does this do? Let's see how this sounds. But there is also something, I guess, because we've been playing, like you really know your, I don't want to sound too pretentious, but your, you know, your sonic palette, you know, the the, the thing that oh, is at your feet. That's a good use of that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm into that phrase. Okay, good, good. Um, <laughs> you, you know, your, your foot and your brain and the pedal are all kind of interconnected. And yeah, I, 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 th- I think when it comes to, kind of laying down the bones of songs and, and get into the room and writing you we almost tend to strip things back to begin with you know um and uh try and just write the songs in a in it in its most sort of stripped back state and yeah then i don't know i don't know why now we, we maybe you know we we always talk know. about them each record and they just maybe quite... maybe twenty twenty one is the year of the flanger for, and so watch it from afar. Yeah, who knows? We'll see. We'll, we'll see. see. But it's it's just it's so interesting to see like uh to see boards of kind of the <laughs> the size of, of your pedal boards and considering the sort of um uh, I guess the the prestige of your band within you know obviously your band transcends math rock but certainly your prestige of the band within math rock as a community and there are precisely zero <laughs> modulation pedals which yeah. for me seems to be like you know everyone has one of everything that's what that's what a pedal board tends to be mm-hmm. in the math rock community and of course like you know when we had nick reinhardt on this podcast recently i i, I had matt on the podcast as well another podcast host matt knight from boss and 
one of the things that we found so interesting about that was like just why Nick Reinhardt and you guys as well just don't use a switching system like these days, like a you know as something like a Boss ESA, which means you don't have to do any hopping around the pedal board. But mm. um, it seems to be something that I, I, <laughs> functioning I think, bands don't. <laughs> don't I think don't need. I think Rory enjoys the challenge. I think <laughs> there's a part there's a part <laughs> of the the dancing around the board that's quite good fun to him. I mean, I, I, I mean, absolutely. I mean, it, it's it's part of like. Uh, like I like to feel and I feel this is important that it's like there is a kind of energy to everything and I think there's a road on, in which you go down convenience uh, and at the end of that road is just something which is no longer complacency well not complacency it's just no longer it's like okay so take it take the analogy of um a guy's learning how to paint and he's making these paintings and he's trying to paint what he's seeing. He's trying to like, he's interpreting this thing and eventually he gets so good at painting that it becomes like a photograph and then you can't tell the difference between the photograph and the real thing. And it's like, what, uh, you know, what is he saying? What, what, what is it that he's bringing to the party here? What, what, right. what, what, why, why do I want that painting? Because, you want to, you know, it's an expression, like music is an expression of, you know, people and a live show is, is, is a version of that thing being kind of presented to you in real life. And I think, you know, a switch is a little bit too close to, uh, to having a laptop do it for you, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. It's just like at some point, you know, it's like, okay, it sounds like the CD or at some point there can never be a mistake made. But it's like, those are all the best bits, you know? Those are the bits where you're like, holy shit, I'm like, there's a human in front of me doing something, and it's... Ah, perfections and it's, in imperfections. Yeah, I get that. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, that's just... I think that's just always the way I've I've been, you know? I mean, my, my favourite bands are the, are the bands who, you know, are scrappy and, you know, don't have a big rig in the background, you know, making sure everything goes clockwork. Yeah. Okay, well, this is great. You've made me feel terrible about myself and using a switcher, so thank you for that. Sorry, but, if, I'd, if, I'd known, if I'd known you had a switcher, I wouldn't have gone on the tirade there. That's, that's and, totally fine. Uh, yeah, the, 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 the caveat to that is that that is, I'm, I, I'm only speaking on, like, my feelings about me playing my music to people, and that's the way. Like, I... I you know, if if uh, if I went to a Meshuggah show and uh, they were trying to like all like hit their pedals and you know Thomas Hack didn't have a click and nothing was you know I'd be really pissed <laughs> off because it's like no yeah. Meshuggah it's got to be like you you guys know the, the score it needs to be a certain way <laughs> yeah. but yeah, yeah for us it's I, just a complicated click track that's that's <laughs> Meshuggah so yes <laughs> that that is what that is but yeah uh, yeah no no you you're absolutely right to be honest you know I use a a switcher for for switching between i have three sounds i've clean drive and ring modulated (laughs) so there's there's no excuse for me using a switcher other than the um the sort of self-obsessed arrogance of wanting to dance around as much as possible and so being able to hit one pedal instead of three or two at most most of the time it just makes it easier but i love that it's uh and and do you know what your answer is really similar to nick reinhardt's 
is that you are playing the pedals like you're playing the guitar you know we don't we don't bring sort of gloves that make chord hand shapes and and you know put put mm-hmm. them over the guitar you you play the instrument and very much the the pedals are a part of it for you guys as well and that 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 makes perfect sense but you know as as you mentioned big rigs let's uh, let's move on and talk about rigs um which actually means we're going to come to guitars last but that's fine let's talk about rigs because you guys y- y- you know are one of the bands that I, I would say sort of popularized orange amplifiers within the math rock community, but also you use Thunderverbs, which are a, a 200 watt bass or guitar amplifier, which is out, like outrageous. Like, that, that's that's <laughs> that's a ridiculous amount of wattage. This is the loudest amplifier you can possibly buy by orange. Um, and it's quite unusual to see um, Thunderverbs kind of out in the wild. They're something that have become incredibly niche. So what, I guess, you know, let's talk about your your relationship with Orange, how, you know, how you guys have used Orange forever and how you ended up using Thunderverbs. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. It's fairly, I think you've pretty much um, in the question answered the question. Uh, I, I do that it, all the time, it, don't it I? Was, yeah, um, fine. <laughs> <laughs> it was like we, we were super young um, whenever trying to even remember how the relationship with orange started up i mean as a kid orange amplifiers you know they were the you know whenever i was watching the old gray whistle test the repeats of the old white gray whistle test i should add i'm not i'm not not that old but you know whenever i was like checking out you know it was like always always the orange amplifiers that stood out I, i i played through a twin reverb up until that point but i just remember being like wow orange those amps are so cool looking you know i mean that uh, that that's a, a lot of <laughs> a lot of my choices um musically through the years in the early days you know was based on like that guitar looks cool that amp looks cool that pedal looks cool you know it's very um that 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 is how it should be huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so 
I, I can't again. I can't remember how it's things started with Orange, but essentially they were like, "Listen, we like your band. We're going to give you some amps." Um, and yeah, I think we just were like, "Well, what's the loudest amp you've got?" And uh, they said this one, and we said, "Okay, g- give us give us one of those and, and a bass amp." And um, it it was because we were. I mean, at the time, you got to like remember at the time we were a lot of the time we would be playing shows where there was no PA. So we were like playing um, in a basement somewhere um, and there'd be just a wall of amps and Chris, our drummer, and you know how loud Chris is. So the idea was just like, if I could get an amp that would be, uh, so that I could hear me over Chris, that, that, that's the idea. So it was a monitor and a amp in one. And then whenever, Niall joined. We just we just got him one too. <laughs> and, uh, it, was, it wasn't really up for discussion. It was just like we're getting the thunder verb. <laughs> All right, wonderful. Yeah. And so you guys, you guys use the. Is it just the standard four twelve by Orange that both of you have a, a four twelve and then a two hundred watt thunder verb, and then of yeah. course your bass player is running through the AD two hundred. So yeah. you've got six hundred watts of amplification between two guitarists and a bass player. And of course, you know the eight ten as well for for bass. It's a big old school set of kit. Like it's it's a very old school setup in, in that sense. You're trying to be and and as you say, Rory, it's the idea is to be loud without the need for like so that your live show can be just as good whether you turn up at a venue, whether you're playing a practice room as we said in Brighton, or you're playing a you know a a, a festival. It means you can sound the same, but. Like, have you ever thought about changing that? About that? like, we're in this age of silent stages of uh, of downsizing. You know, the most one of the most popular selling amps of of the last decade has been for Fender, the Blues Junior. You know, the the Boss Katana, which is solid state, has been the most successful amp in the last five years of sales. Like, you know, it's we're we're in this time of of people gigging smaller amplifiers and relying on PA systems has. Have you guys ever thought about changing anything? Um, I'm I'm sort of experimenting with some other amps at the minute. Um, I'm trying out a jazz chorus at the minute, a Roland jazz chorus. Um, luckily, through your colleague Matt, who's been <laughs> very kind to us and sent some stuff over for us to try, some other cool pedals and some amps and stuff. So, yeah, I, for me... I am trying to work out if I can create a similar sound live that that doesn't break my back to bring the amp into the, the you know each <laughs> venue. I'm just I'm just, I just feel like I'm getting a bit older, and the huge pedal board and the huge amp is it's just it's just a lot to, to sort of wheel around. So I'm I'm experimenting with that at the minute, and I'm experimenting with. A, a helix as well from line six <clears throat> so i'm sort of trying to work out if i can sort of retain um the signs that i love but in a, on a sort of reduced size board reduced size amp um so we're we're, we're we're sort of seeing experimenting at the minute i don't know we'll, we'll see how it goes with the, I guess the good thing for for using something like a, a Helix is that you know they have the Mandarin eighty uh, yeah. on 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 there, which is a which is a, a really good impression of a of an AD 
30. I think it's an AD. I can't remember what they yeah. said. It was an impression one. Maybe, maybe it's not. Maybe it's not as it's got 80 at the end. I can't remember. But it's got a very good orange amp interpretation. And I actually think some of the other things on there, they have some matte amp interpretations, which sound yeah. fantastic and very similar. And of course, the thing with a jazz chorus is is you're able to go in through the effects return, bypass that preamp, and then, and then utilize the helix for that. Or just because the jazz chorus is such an incredibly clean amplifier, to be honest, you can use the you know the the front end and and still kind of have all that glittery clean but how i, I mean i guess you know how has um how has that affected drive cuz do you guys use the thunderverb predominantly for for drive i yeah. you use the amps for drive do you have go to drive pedals individually that that you know have to be on your boards i don't, I don't think we've ever found a drive pedal that can hold the candle to the orange <laughs> distortion um unfortunately um but when we play festivals we have to sort of try and find something else and i don't know i don't know about you rory but there's there's never been one that's just been like ah this is it this is the one that kind of does everything we've sort of been through i don't know five or six different pedals each probably that we've tried to recreate that sound with um and yeah um nothing quite stands up to it but like i say i'm trying to see if i can create something on using the effects that are on board the helix to see if i can get something close to uh to, to that at the minute but you know if i was to go into the studio to record next week you know i'd be bringing the orange of course no, no yeah. doubt you know but um yeah don't know what you think about that rory yeah what do you think rory yeah, I mean that that's it. It's like that that big, you know, that big durable and, you know, fantastically thunderous um drive is, you know, it's kind of the it's the th- like we 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 play a lot of um, you know, octave down stuff um with, with the effects pedals and it's just it just can take it. It's almost like switching a bass guitar on, you know, and um it's just Man, they're just so much fun to stand in front of, and <laughs> <laughs> like they, they are. It, you know, I think we're we're aware that you know it's it can you know at times it can be overkill. It's like you know we probably don't need all that ampage, but they are what we have been playing for years, and there's you know a lovely little you know roundness to the clean um, that I like. I mean, it, it, in a perfect world, I'd have another cleaner option you know i'd have like three stages um it doesn't you know you can't quite get it you know orange aren't known for their clean even even on the 200 watt amp certainly they've done some great stuff recently uh with the reintroduction of their rocker series which has proved to be a very nice clean but i I think back on the back on the thunderverb even with 200 watts i think their clean has a very specific tone it's certainly not crystally kind of fender or roland cleanness no no you and used to use a compressor to get around that with the orange rory is, is that something you still do yeah i've got like the philosopher's tone and i kind of use a lot more compression than i used to um i don't think like when the band first started i don't think i had any idea what compressor did you know <laughs> you'd like press a distortion pedal it's like okay that's great press a compressor pedal it's like 
this is shite. It doesn't do anything. <laughs> <laughs> but then, so, you know, I think once you got better at uh, production, like yeah. you know, on the laptop, and you're using compression so much, then then it's sort of like, oh, maybe I could apply this to to live as well, right? Totally. Yeah, that was. I think that was whenever I was like 15 years old, and you know, just wanted to sound like Nirvana. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I'm using that, and that that does help, you know, to to kind of like um uh with with the with the clean tone and the on the orange but i mean um yeah i mean it's interesting what you're saying you know about just like like the idea of like portability and and you know in the kind of the way things are with you know touring well fingers crossed it all gets back to normal at some point well, but yeah you know there's something so uh inviting about you know jumping on a jumping on a plane and knowing that you've kind of got everything with you um rather than you know the kind of uh hoping that the rent lamp turns up and works or you know um you know kind of being at the you know like wondering what amp's going to be there and whether the distortion pedal that you've kind of tried to get to grips with before the tour is going to sound good through something different and um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, for now, I, I, yeah, I still, still love the orange. You favor, I'm, yeah, you favor the rock and roll over the sort of the consistency of, you know, I, I guess the digital stuff. And that yeah. makes sense. I think, I mean, it's probably seeing Tony Iommi use, use an orange jump and it was just like, it's ingrained something in my now forever <laughs> where I, I like, can't let go of the Sabbath. <laughs> Yeah, that that's that's completely and reasonable. The other great thing about Orange is that when we go to the states, they like hook up, hook us up. So if we go and tour in the states, then we can have like a full Orange backline. They're which, such which a good company. They're, they're, they're like the best, like the best dudes in history. They're the most rock and roll like company I think I've ever dealt with. Like uh, you know, obviously, listener, I I, I have to. You know, I, I from w- when I worked in a guitar shop and from everything else, we, we deal with Orange quite a lot. And from all the companies that uh, that I have to talk to, there's no one who there's there's no one who's quite as literally just rock and roll. They're not really a company. They're just like these rock and roll people that love music, and so they, you know, have make amplifiers because of that. It's uh, it's such a wonderful thing to be around. So I'm not not surprised in the slightest that they obviously got involved in you, and 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 that also you're able to source amplifiers literally wherever you are. They are kind of wonderful for that. Yeah. And and of course, I guess you know when it comes to touring, that whatever it is, twenty mil ply. Um, actually it, it does actually matter when you tour as much as a band like you do mm-hmm. um having having an amp brand that are literally so rugged that you know they're, they're virtually unbreakable you can you know, throw them down a flight of stairs and and nothing's going to happen and to we have yeah. <laughs> yes well, jo- johnny has anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I have uh, i have no doubt they do of course weigh an absolute ton but there is something reassuring in the heavy weight of uh of an orange amplifier that um that yeah well, you know obviously works for you guys we should talk about guitars um because on the guitarist podcast we have managed to talk about amplifiers and pedals so far and we haven't talked about guitars yet sure. um because this this year for, for all of 
2020, in fact. Um, Guitarnerds hooked up with Shergold Guitars, and they're they're one of our main sponsors for the entire year. Um, and you guys are kind of the poster boys for their newest model, the Provocateur, um, which is, you know, I guess the, the first time you guys have... Uh, uh, sort of united on a brand because I, I want to talk about the guitars you you used before then of course but but you know let's let's talk about the provocateur that's the guitar that both of you are now playing as a as a sort of a main instrument yeah yeah they're we, amazing. Um, we went we i think we played art tangent like two or three years ago and they had uh like a little backstage showroom of like a couple of different brands and um Shergold were there and we met Rob and he just kind of like showed us what he had. Um but there was a um, you know, we loved the guitars that we played that were there, but there was a photo on the wall of this. Ah, guitar, so you played the, the Marauder. So the Provocateur wasn't out by it that. It wasn't point. out yet. But we both, like Rory said, we go on looks a lot and we were like, that's so cool. <laughs> <laughs> what's that one what's the one we can't have <laughs> and um he was like let's just keep in touch and when when it comes out you'll be the first ones to to have a go on it so he sent sent it over as soon as he had it and we both played it loved it and um yeah they've just been very kind to us very good to us and it's been a very breezy relationship they so hook this us is, up with beautiful instruments and they, we get to play them. They are an absolutely fantastic company and Rob in particular does a does a, a fantastic job of, of kind of supporting his artists. And, He's a sweetheart. Yeah, he is he is wonderful. Um but did did you guys both go for the same pickup options? Do you go do you guys both play the double humbucker version? Because of course the provocateur comes in two I think it's two different pickup yeah. configurations. You get a P ninety option and a double humbucker option. Rory's got the P90 humbucker, and then I've got the humbucker humbucker because I just found that I was always on the humbucker option, right? On, on the other one, so do you, do you guys use both pickups, or do you tend to stick on one? Like it's it's common with people with big pedal boards, even if there are a couple of pickups, to stick on one for everything. Rory does it a lot. He does a lot of pickup switching. I do a lot less because i kind of forget that the switch is there and i just get <laughs> i'm trying to concentrate too much on the other stuff <laughs> remembering the song but Rory does a lot of pickup switching don't you yeah i tend to like go yeah bits bits and bobs and um but like my i suppose my default is like it right in the middle but um oh really yeah wow. yeah um and uh yeah, for whatever reason, my hand has just become accustomed to like leaving it in the middle, and then you know I can like you know go up either end for 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 certain bits. Right, and and I guess because you you played Telecasters before that, Rory. So was this um, was this a step a deliberate step away from that, or uh, or did you find that the P ninety humbucker version was kind of a, a was close to what you were used to? Yeah, it wasn't a million miles off, and um, but I, I, it was the it, like it, it's it sounded great when it arrived. Like it, it really, it, it really did like stand up. I I, I re- really loved how it sounded, uh, and through the through the orange, which yeah can you know sometimes through even really good guitars, you know at times you know it hasn't quite suited. 
probably more my pedal setup combination with the with the Thunderverb. You know, there, there's a lot. It it asks a lot of the guitar, and um, uh, it it sounded great like straight away. And um, but it played beautifully. It just felt so. The action on it was it was beautiful frets and the it, it kind of i feel like the neck is kind of like into the body by like an extra like little smidge and it just feels like i'm not i'm not a huge a huge dude you know so it just felt like i don't know it like just so balanced and uh, and uh and uh like it just felt right at home around my neck so um I do think Patrick Eger has done a, a fantastic job with those guitars, like chunky necks, but great because it kind of appeals to a sort of a Telecaster player and they're just so incredibly comfortable. Um, and obviously the, what, what differed from the Marauders, which I guess were the first guitars you played, they had solid rosewood necks and then these ones had mahogany with a with a rosewood board. Um but yeah, it, it, we we were we've been so impressed with the entire relaunch of Shergold. I I loved the neck on the Marauder. That for me, like a solid rosewood neck, I thought was incredible. I loved the aluminium inlays, the sort of lined aluminium inlays. That was super cool. And I think maybe if it came down to it, I preferred the neck on the Marauder. But the body shape and everything else about the um, Provocateur, I, I think, is just just fantastic. Um, and so, no, you went for the double humbucker version, which I think has the same bridge humbucker, right? It's always yeah. Seymour Duncan's in the uh, in the Shergolds. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Seymour Duncan's just that that name that you always hear of, like, pickups that you probably can't afford when you're younger that you, you want to get. So it was, like, a real bonus to have, you know, these amazing pickups in this guitar that's already amazing. So, yeah, it was kind of... Um, big bonus for that's, us to have that's that. kind of the thing isn't it because they've um uh the these the they're really affordable like you know yeah. they're sub sub a thousand pounds sub 900 pounds i think the 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 provocateurs and, yeah. and marauders now which is incredible when you consider sort of the incredibly high quality soft case that they come in uh, i know soft cases don't you know aren't necessarily important to you guys but mm-hmm. incredibly important you know, it, it cool to have such a high quality soft case, which would be a couple of hundred quid normally, come with the guitar. And then I just think, you know, all in all, the features, the button tuners, everything about them, I, you know, having totally. having Seymour Duncan pickups. And yeah, it, it's, it was great to see you guys get involved with them because, you know, we, we were big fans of, of Showgold from the relaunch anyway. So to see you guys end up being very much the poster boys for their new guitar was really exciting. So that, you know, that's great. I'm very glad that you guys have done that. But, you know, you, you, you also play a range of kind of other guitars. And I think like, a, like no, you, you played, did you play Reverend? Before you yeah, played Chuck, we, we both got some reverend. Well, I think I got a reverend first. We were right. on a we were on a tour in America with a band called what were they called? Were we? Um, Which tour was this? Uh, <laughs> in America, you know, and they had just signed Bliss. They were called Bliss. They just signed a certain house, and their guitarist had a reverend, and it was just the whole tour. I was just ogling it, you know, and um, came home and emailed Ken at Reverend and he was really cool and sent sent us over one and then 
I think Rory got a bit jealous and he got one and then we both got another couple as well and they they they're absolute tour machines like they they're just like they work really hard they'd never break um, yeah they sound amazing they look cool as shit we're big um, fans of of Reverend and and Ken is is the, a, a wonderful man. If he's you know, so cool. not yeah. slightly dauntingly tall, but uh, but an incredibly cool fella. And um, what did you what did you both get from Reverend then? Which which models did you end up playing? Uh, went for the double agent because I liked the sound of having you know the options at the time because I was coming from what was I playing before that? I was playing the jazz. What's it? The Ibanez uh, Jack King. Oh yeah. Oh right. Oh very cool. And so I um, liked this idea of having these options with this double agent thing, and then um, again find that I was playing the humbucker way more than uh, the P ninety E. So on the second one, I just got oh, what's it called? It's but it's a it's a, it's a just a just a humbucker guitar. Right. Was it the same um, body shape as the double agent? Which the double agent is kind of their offset Telecaster. Yeah, shape, it's sort of dead thing. similar. Um, uh, so if it's dead similar, but it has a top horn, uh, then that would be the Jetstream shape. Maybe um, quite possibly. They they did like a a single humbucker signature version of that, which I think Matt has. Matt owns, and it was called. The it's the Matt West signature, but I think that comes with a P90, so maybe that isn't the one you have. But but yeah, the, I mean to be honest, I've sort of gone, oh yeah, what model do you have with a company that literally have, I I don't know, sixty models? Like it's impossible to <laughs> to to know exactly. Um, I'm pretty sure. I'm just looking at it, and I'm pretty sure it's the Charger. Oh yeah, the Charger, Charger is the yeah yeah the the Charger is um. Yeah, uh, it is, is is is. I th- I think it is the same body shape. I think what changes with the charger is that you have. Uh, so the charger is the body shape, but I think they changed the name to being like um, double agent. Oh, I I don't know. I'm I'm really not sure what the deal is, but I think the because it's called like the buckshot and the trick shot if it's got tele pickups, but that same body shape is the charger if it's like double P90 or double humbucker. So yeah, I'm not entirely sure, but it's great though, and it's got that that this the base contour base roll off uh, up at the top, and it's you know I would use that a little bit for you know I wouldn't I wouldn't fuck with the uh, the um, pickup selection but I would roll off the bass um, right. for kind of quieter stuff and yeah it's a really versatile control I'm very very into that yeah um, we, still, we still love them we still we still got them we still play them from time to time that's cool what what did you get Rory did you get the you got a telly style one again didn't you yeah I think right? I got I got um, I had one of the OG double agents and right and I, I think I just got two of those guys but um, they, yeah, I mean you get, I think you got the same guitar didn't you yeah, like two of the same. Yeah, because I I was using I was using it a lot. I mean, whenever I whenever I got the, um, yeah, my uh, Reverend, I was just like, uh, that was the first time I'd kind of for a full tour not played um, my telly, you know, which I was just playing all the time. Um, all you know, all my yeah. life I'd been on the telly, and the when we got the Reverends, yeah, it was like. 
they just feel so so good. They they they're like one of my favorite guitars of all time. I I I, I love them. Like Nal said, we still play them quite a lot. But um, uh, yeah, I just ended up getting two of them because we we play in like a couple of different tunings, and um, so I'm like swapping guitars a lot. And I was like, I I, I just want to have the same guitar, <laughs> you know, in just two different tunings. Yeah, that, it makes sense. To be honest, it makes sense that you guys have gone for Reverend and Shergo because I think of those companies as being quite similar in that they make guitars that aren't, a, you know, a ridiculous price point, but they are incredibly well built and presented for their price point. And above all, they are touring machines. Both companies, I think, pride themselves on on kind of making guitars that are designed to be thrown around. Yeah. Like there's nothing pretty or over the top about them. Whilst they're in both cases very good looking and have some wonderful attention to detail, the the idea is this is a workhorse. You know, it's not it's not PRS, you know, it's it's not designed to be kept on a dentist shelf. It's a it's an absolute player's guitar. Um, Definitely. Yeah, so interesting. You've gone for both of those. Um, you, you know, we, we are we are coming to the end of this podcast. But Rory, I have to ask: the Telecaster that you originally used was it actually a Fender or was it a Partscaster? Is this the kind of like blonde with the F hole? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's like a nineteen seventy three um, like Fender um, Mexican um, and uh, th- a thin line. And it was uh, right. As as far as I know, I mean, it it, um, it 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 came down through our family. It was my dad's brother's before he passed away, and we got it. Um, and it just sat in our house, you know. And it was uh, as a as a kid, you know, it was like I would pick up the acoustic guitar, and it was like difficult to play. You know, the strings were you know these big ancient like brassy strings that I could barely you know get down onto the fret and but there was this other guitar in the corner which because it had that f hole in it you know it, you could kind of hear you know at the acoustics of it a bit you know so you could play it without an amplifier and it had this really super low action and like slinky strings on it and i was just able to you know just kind of make songs on it and kind of like teach myself you know like if I put my fingers in these three different places, it kind of sounds nice and, you know, so on and so forth. And that just was the guitar that I started playing. And I think it was like probably one of my like first ever shows in Belfast, which is like the closest big city to us. Whenever I was maybe like 16 or something, we played this little punk venue called the front page. And I remember, um, we were like one of, you know, seven bands playing and, um, uh, I remember somebody coming up to me after the show and being like, dude, where'd you get that guitar? That's like an amazing guitar. And I was like, what? Like I'd, I, you know, I, di- I didn't know anything about guitars. I mean, I still, as I'm sure you can probably tell, like I still don't really know a lot about guitars. They were always to begin with, they were just a, a vehicle to like, you know, put, 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 put like a, a song, you know, it was like the easiest way of making a song for me, at, you know, whenever I first started. And um, it's only, yeah, you know, it was only whenever I got a bit older that I, you know, started to just fall in love with them. But yeah, back then I was just like, this is a good guitar. Seriously. I just, I, for some reason, I just presumed this is probably like not a good guitar because <laughs> I don't know, 
it's just like the the guitar that was sitting at home but um uh, i remember the the first time i came around to your house your little brother was having band practice and the whole band was going through uh, your uncle's like original ac30 that was like vintage and it was like <laughs> you know all the vocals all the guitars they somehow like plugged it all in and i was like no but Ewan was, I guess, similar to Ewan, just like he probably had no idea that it was, you know, this like masterpiece, like vintage imp. He was just like, oh, it's just always been here. Yeah, exactly. Like my dad <laughs> yeah. would be like, you know, those are very good. And that would be kind of it. And it's like, you know, but yes, that was a long answer to your question, Joe. But that, yeah, no, that, that was good. The, that, that's kind of like how I ended up playing that and i i guess you know it was just kind of like okay i like that guitar i i play telecasters you know if anyone ever asked me you know i'd i'd often be embarrassed you know that i didn't really like know a lot about guitars if somebody like talked to me after a show and uh, it would be like my go-to would be like oh yeah i play um a fender telecaster and that's kind of the one thing i know how to talk about a little bit so <laughs> That, that's t- I mean that is totally fine. That that is the the big divide for for guitarists. There are those who those who play and those who collect. And you know I'm 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 definitely in that latter. And uh, <laughs> which is uh, you know not necessarily the best place to be. Re- you know, th- this week on the uh, on our on our Facebook group, um, I posted about the fact that I was getting really into. And at the time that I wrote this, I didn't see anything wrong with what I wrote. I was like, oh, I'm getting really into boutique plectrums at the moment like you know (laughs) know, like you know plectrums made out of weird materials that are maybe sort of 20 25 pounds i'm finding them all really interesting at the moment and exciting and someone well a a a podcast listener who we know commented on there being like this is the most 2020 thing i've ever read (laughs) just go and play your instrument and uh, (laughs) there is definitely and there is definitely a rabbit hole that i fall down constantly where I become obsessed with equipment and not about the actual functionality that it's supposed to perform. So, you know, of course, Rory, you you know, you're the other side of that, having created all the music that you have, whereas I essentially am just sitting in a room full of guitars. <laughs> you're selling so, yourself we, short, we Joe. You're, you're very talented. And boxes and boxes of paddles in our room. So, <laughs> that that fall, is true. We fall to that as well. Yes, that is true. Yes, you are definitely part of the pedal screw. Well, that's it. That's about all uh, we have time for on this week's episode of the Friday special. Um, it's been wonderful having you both on, Rory and Niall. Thanks so much for taking the time to chat with us. A pleasure. Yeah, thanks for having us. Uh, you can, of course, uh, catch... M- no problem at all. You can, of course, catch more Guitar Nerds over on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Guitar Nerds or you can join us on any of the major social platforms with at Guitar Nerds. And we'll be back next week with our regular episode on Wednesday and Friday. We'll catch you then for more of this Guitar Nerdery. Farewell.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.